You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. All right, welcome to Hill City Church Online. If we have not met before, my name is John Whitaker. I'm a friend of Hill City and a friend of uh, Josh and Andrew and Jake and the pastors here at Hill City. And every now and then they uh, ask me just to help out and, and uh, share the message. And so today I get the privilege of uh, walking through a particular passage out of the Beatitudes today with you. You guys have been in this series just looking at the various Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at one today that I think is really important for us to wrestle with, and I want us to try to hear it, I think, maybe a little differently than we would normally hear it or the way we would expect. And as I was thinking about this series on the Beatitudes, I was thinking about this particular message, I was thinking about this question, and the question is this. Whose life is, like, genuinely enviable to you? I think that's an important question for us to, not in a bad sort of way, but just like, like who do you look at? Like, man, they've really got the life I wish I had. Who is that person? Like, you pick up your phone, you scroll through your Instagram feed, or you look at Facebook or whatever it is, and it's like, oh, man, look at, look at them. I wish my life were like that. And that can be, that obviously can be bad, right? Like, we could turn it into a negative sort of envy, but I, I'm thinking more just in the sense of who do you look up to? Who do you think really has life figured out? Whose life is genuinely enviable? Maybe it's, you know, they've just got a nice family, and it just seems like the family all gets along. They've got a nice house. Their yard is put together. They're able to go on decent family vacations. Maybe it's somebody who they just have had a secure job, and they're good at their job. Who, who is that family, that person, the kind of person that in your circle people just look up to and people admire and they hold up to as like a model? This is like, this is the people that really know how to do life and what life is about. Or broaden that out even just a little bit to culture at large in in American culture by and large, what kind of person is held up as these people are really living the life. They, they know what life is about. They've got it figured out. They're enjoying life. They're going on nice vacations. They've got a nice job. They have, you know, they're not like super wealthy, but they certainly have more than enough. They can at least buy nice gifts for each other and they can go out to nice meals or whatever it is. Whose life is like held up as they've really got life figured out. They know what life is about. Every culture has sort of a picture of that. They have a vision of the genuinely well-off life, the, the life where it's like, man, they are fortunate. They've got, they've got life, a good life. They've got it figured out. Life is well for them. They are well-off. What does that person look like in our culture? Um, and conversely, on the flip side of that, every culture, therefore, even if it's just implicitly, has sort of the, the opposite of that, like the life that's not enviable. It's like, man, they've had a hard life. Like life is just rough for them. Or, man, I would never want to be in their shoes, right? Like, and again, it doesn't have to be all negative or all bad. It's just, it could even be with genuine compassion or sympathy, but it's like, it's not enviable, not a good situation. It's not the kind of life that's held up as, that's the fortunate life, the life that is genuinely blessed and well off. And, and I think in Jesus' culture, what, what we're looking at in the Beatitudes is that sort of image of the genuinely well-off life versus the genuinely not well-off life. And 
And I, I think when we think of that picture of what life is not enviable, not fortunate, not like, man, I would not want to be in their shoes. You, you usually don't think of somebody who, whose life is just hard, whether it's just been like, man, lots of suffering, lots of hardship, lots of difficulty, sorrow. Like, that's not, that's not the kind of person that's like, man, I wish I had their life. We don't envy that kind of life. We don't look up to that. Or even the kind of person who is like super sensitive to all the injustice in the world and all that's wrong with the world and, it, and that kind of bruise under the surface of their, their skin and in the, their heart on a regular basis and occasionally it just breaks out and they're just, they're just poked by and, and pained by the injustice in the world and, and it... And it eats at them and it bothers them and they long for things to be different and they, they don't always feel like they have the power to make things different. Like Again, we don't usually envy that kind of person. We don't think, man, that's, that's a good life. That's a blessed life. And that's where Jesus' Beatitudes come in at that point. Because what Jesus' Beatitudes do is they really, they really flip the scale of honor. They, they flip the scale of like fortune for us on what kind of life is genuinely enviable and good and fortunate and blessed? And so as we uh, listen to the Beatitudes, what we're seeing is Jesus actually in some ways reversing the scale of honor in his culture as well as in our culture as well. And so um, let me show you what I mean with the Beatitudes, and then we'll jump into the specific Beatitude that we want to look at for today. And so when you look at the Beatitudes, sometimes... Maybe oftentimes we read them as if or we're taught them as if that the Beatitudes really are character traits that we should strive to embody, that we should strive to be, uh, you know, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We should strive to be meek and gentle. And they're portrayed almost as virtues, character traits that we should seek to have. And in some ways, maybe that's a little bit true. Certainly with at least some of the Beatitudes, I, that, I could see where that's the case. And maybe it makes sense to, in a secondary sense, to read them that way. But others of the Beatitudes, it makes no sense to read them that way. Like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Like, no, like that, that's, that's not something we should strive. We don't want to be depressed, mourning, sorrowful people. We don't strive to be that, right? Even blessed are the poor in spirit. That doesn't, that doesn't mean, as sometimes has been said, oh, we need to recognize how sinful we are and thus we, you know, we come to God for help. What poor in spirit means is we have nothing to offer. Our spiritual bank account is a net zero. We're bankrupt when it comes to spiritually speaking. And there are people like that. So when we come to the Beatitudes, what we're actually looking at is, is a, a reversal of the scale of honor. Look at the setting. For the, for the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, it reads like this. And great crowds followed him, followed Jesus, and listen to where they're from, from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from the region beyond the Jordan. In other words, as Jesus is about ready to jump into what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he's surrounded by a massive crowd from all different places. And if we're not familiar with those places, we maybe miss the setting for the Beatitudes and for the whole Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, you've got people from Galilee, which is the northern region of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, predominantly Jewish, although intermixed with Gentile cities and Gentiles living there, sort of at the crossroads of the region. And so more aware of cross-cultural influences, more open to and sensitive to Gentile influences. You have people from the Decapolis. That's an exclusively Gentile region, meaning non-Jews. They don't know the law. They don't obey the scriptures. They know nothing about the one true God. They're opposed to all They're pagan. So you got people in the crowd like that. You have people from Jerusalem. That's the capital, at least the religious capital of Israel. And so you have the Jewish elite and people who are familiar with sort of that Jewish elitism in Jerusalem. And you have people from the region beyond the Jordan, Perea, which again is a mixed bag of Gentile and Jews. You've got this whole mixed bag of people in the crowd. So you have some people, they know God, they know the scriptures, they might be trying to obey it. You have some people who they know the scriptures and they know God, but it's more just culture and tradition. And they're more interested in making a living by intermixing with Jews and Gentiles and everybody else. Then you have people that are out and out pagans and they know nothing about God at all. You've got this entire mixed bag in Jesus' audience. And so when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's pagans in the crowd who everyone would know. They're poor in spirit. They're spiritually bankrupt. They don't even know anything about God. They don't know anything about his word. They don't know anything about the truth. They have nothing to offer. You've got people in the crowd for whom life has been hard and life is difficult and there's been death and disease and pain and suffering. And so... Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You have people in the audience who, they just have this deep sense of right and wrong, and they know what the world's supposed to be like, and they look at the world, and they look at everything that's going on, and the oppression from the Romans, and the brokenness among the Jews, and the factions among the Jewish people, and they just see the injustice and the brokenness, and it eats at them, and they long for the world to be put right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's what the Beatitudes are doing. The Beatitudes are not character traits that we need to embody. They are descriptions of the kinds of people that are in Jesus' audience. They are the descriptions of all different kinds of people that now are welcome in Jesus' kingdom. And in Jesus' kingdom, regardless of their background, do they know right and wrong? Do they not know right and wrong? Are they religious, irreligious, moral, immoral? Uh, Has life been good to them? And are they well off or are they sorrowful and hurting? It doesn't matter where they've come from. The door has been thrown wide open to Jesus' kingdom. And in Jesus' kingdom, they are welcome. And in his kingdom, he says, and in my kingdom, you can be blessed. You can be given good fortune. You can know the good life. You can be genuinely well off if you'll enter into my kingdom, regardless of the background that you've come from. And so uh, as we read the Beatitudes and listen to the Beatitudes, we need to first and foremost primarily hear them as descriptions of the places that people come from when they come to Jesus. And Jesus saying, it doesn't matter your background. My kingdom is open to anybody and everybody. And in my kingdom, there's blessing for you that the curse of this life, whatever it might be, can be reversed in your experience if you enter into my kingdom. And the reason that's important is because the specific beatitude that we're going to talk about today is one of those beatitudes where we would would be tempted to hear it first and foremost as a character trait we need to try to aspire to. But I want us to set that in the background because, because although it has maybe some value to hear it that way, that's not primarily what Jesus means by it. Here's the beatitude we want to, we want to consider and think about today. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It says this, 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now the reality is, is in Jesus' kingdom, we know from the whole context of Jesus' teaching that mercy is a value in Jesus' kingdom. It's something that's important to him, and it's something that he wants his, his followers, us, to embody. Mercy, right? And so it's really easy for us to read this thing. Man, I need to be more merciful so I can get more mercy. I need to be more merciful so I can experience the blessing of mercy. But let's, let's set that aside. That's not primarily what Jesus means. This, again, is a description of somebody in the crowd Sitting there on the hillside as Jesus is sharing this teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody who's merciful. And Jesus is saying, you're welcome in my kingdom and there's a blessing for you in my kingdom. And so first, let's just pause and say, what does it mean then to be merciful? What does mercy mean? And, and usually, I think when we hear the word mercy, the first thing that comes to our mind is we jump immediately in a religious context to the idea of forgiveness. Oh, God is merciful. He'll forgive my sins. And we think first and foremost to that idea of forgiveness, getting our sins forgiven. And that's one expression of mercy, but it's not, it's not the only expression, and it's not even necessarily the primary expression of mercy in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, mercy in, in the New Testament has more to do with seeing someone's need and being roused to help so that you're now moved to action to somehow meet that need, to alleviate their suffering, to uh, take care of a problem that they're having. That's the idea. Fundamentally, mercy is about uh, moving to help alleviate somebody's suffering or meet somebody's need. That's what mercy most of all, is about. It's closely related to compassion. In fact, you often see those words uh, overlap in the Bible, that mercy and compassion are very similar. It's the idea of taking pity on somebody and seeing, wow, they're in a difficult spot. I think I could help them. Let me help. It's moving to help somebody who needs help. And so, for example, you're reading through the Gospels, and Jesus is uh, entering into the city of Jericho. And as he enters into the city of Jericho, there's a man sitting there. He's a blind man, and he is um, begging alms. And he hears a loud crowd coming his way, and he's wondering what's going on. So he begins to ask other people around him, what's happening? Who are all these people? What's all this noise about? And they say, oh, Jesus from Nazareth is, is coming into the city, and there's a crowd with him. And so immediately, this blind man, whose name is Bartimaeus, jumps up uh, and he begins to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What does he want Jesus to do for him? He's not asking Jesus to forgive him. That may come at some point. Who knows? What is he asking Jesus to do? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What he wants Jesus to do for him is, I want to see. I want my blindness to go away Will you alleviate my suffering and meet my need? And Jesus does, right? And so mercy is meeting a need and alleviating a suffering. Or here's another example. You're in the book of Acts and you're reading along and you're in Acts chapter 9, the second half of Acts 9, and you meet a woman named Tabitha. She has a, another name, Dorcas, but let's use Tabitha. So she's Tabitha. And she has died. And people are mourning and they're crying. And it's because Tabitha is known, it says, for, depending on your translation, acts of charity, doing good for others. But the word there is literally a, a version of the word for mercy. She's known for doing good deeds of mercy for people. What did she do? 
What did she do? Well, you keep reading the story, and what you see is everyone's holding up the clothes that she, look, she made this tunic for me. Look, she made this robe for me. I didn't have any clothes, and she sewed for me. Tabitha could sew, and she used her gift of sewing to meet people's needs for clothing. And it's called acts of mercy. She helped provide clothing for people who needed clothes. That's what Tabitha did. And as a result, everyone's mourning her death and asking Peter to do something about it. And Peter does in that story. So mercy is primarily about meeting people's needs, taking care of people, whether it's physical needs like clothes, whether it's a need like eyesight and suffering or disease being healed. That's what mercy is. And in that context, one of the needs that people often have is for their sins to be forgiven. And so you find people crying out to God for mercy, to meet this need. I have become aware that I have done wrong against you, O God. I need my sins forgiven. So, for example, you're reading through the Psalms and you come to Psalm 51. And it's the psalm that was written after David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and all that was entailed in that. And David begins that psalm by saying, Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Forgive my iniquities. And so he's crying out to God to meet a need, a real need that he has. He needs to have his sins cleaned up. He needs to have his account uh, forgiven and canceled. He needs mercy for his sins to be forgiven. That's what mercy is. Mercy fundamentally has to do with meeting a person's need, whether it's alleviating their suffering from disease or hardship, whether it's meeting some physical need by providing clothes or food or giving money to them, whether it's God forgiving our sins, we need mercy. That's mercy. Now, here's the interesting thing about mercy is I think at one level, we recognize how good mercy is. We see it as a good thing. And yet, we don't always value it. Uh, in fact, I was telling my wife the, the other day, we were driving in the car, and uh, I was telling her what uh, I was preaching on here at Hill City, and, and her first reaction was, oh, that's interesting. We don't value mercy. I found that fascinating, but I think she's right. I think what we do is we value mercy in theory, but not in practice. Um, and I think that was true in Jesus' day as well, how Yes, we know mercy is a good thing. Yes, we believe God has called us to be merciful people. So we, we know we should value it, but we don't often actually value it. We value it in theory, but not in practice. And, and, I, and it was the same in Jesus' day. Um, you read through the Old Testament scriptures, and the Old Testament scriptures regularly called the people of Israel to be people of mercy, caring for the poor, caring for the orphan, caring for the widow, right? You see in the Old Testament law, gleaning laws, where you're supposed to make sure the poor, you leave some of the, the crop behind so the poor can actually glean some of the food for themselves. And so in theology, in creed, in doctrine, mercy was valued, but it wasn't always actually valued in practice. How do I know this? Well, one, human nature. Two, again, teachings of Jesus. Let me read you a couple of passages, one from Matthew 23, one from Matthew 9, that Jesus actually implicitly says they don't value mercy. Matthew 23, this is what Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Did you hear that? 
you, you tithe, you do your religious activities, you note how important all those things are, but you've neglected the more important things, mercy. Uh, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. In other words, you've made a big deal out of your tithes and offerings and you've neglected mercy itself and justice and faithfulness. So Jesus says you're neglecting mercy. You're not really valuing it. Even though it's valued in theory, not so much in practice. Or again, Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, Jesus says this. As Jesus reclined at the table in the, in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, Jesus heard what they were saying, and he said, Those who are well off have no need of a physician, but those who are sick need a physician. Go and learn what this means. And he quotes an Old Testament verse, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but the sinners. And so I desire mercy, and you're not showing it by welcoming the tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is demonstrating mercy, but not you guys. You're more about your religious activities, your sacrifices, than mercy. And what we hear in these two passages from Jesus is that while mercy was commanded in the Old Testament and thus valued in doctrine and creed, it wasn't always valued in practice. And that's what my wife is getting at when she says, Mercy isn't really valued today. And I think she's right. I think, just like her, oftentimes we Christians uh, value mercy in theory, but not in practice. Um, To put it in the context where I started this message, we don't look at a merciful person and hold them up as somebody who's really well off. They've really got life figured out. Man, they are so fortunate. I wish I were like them. That's an enviable life. We don't genuinely think of someone who's, who's laying down their life to meet other person's needs as really having life figured out. We don't think somebody who's suffering themselves to alleviate the suffering of others as fortunate, blessed, or well off. And yet that's what Jesus is saying here in uh, this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful. The reality is being merciful is hard. Um, being merciful is difficult. Being merciful involves sacrifice. Being merciful runs the risk of being taken advantage of. And we know all of that, and thus we don't always value mercy and being merciful. Um, I think of a friend that I have who is just inherently, innately, just, he's just merciful. He just sees the needs of people. He's moved to help. He, he frequently helps other people's needs. And guess what? He has been taken advantage of more times than anybody else I know. And we look at that and we think, he should be smarter than that. That's what happens when you try to help people out. You get taken advantage of. At some point, you have to put down boundaries, you know, and you have to write. He just wants to alleviate people's suffering. He just wants to help people out. And and it leads him to difficulty and hardship. Or I think of uh, C.S. Lewis, kind of a humorous little anecdote from his life, but it illustrates this idea that we don't always value mercy. C.S. Lewis was walking down the street with his friend Walter Hooper and came upon a a street beggar who was asking people for a handout, right? And C.S. Lewis pulled out his wallet, emptied out his whole wallet, and gave it to this guy. And as they walked on, his friend said to him, you you shouldn't have just given him that money. Don't you know he's just going to spend it on alcohol? And C.S. Lewis's reaction was, well, 
better him than me. Um, Lewis's point was, it doesn't really matter what he's going to do with it. It's still good to be merciful. But his friend's criticism is very often our criticism. Well, you know, it doesn't do any good to help those people. They're not going to help themselves. It's not really worth it. We often don't value mercy and being merciful. And Jesus' point here in the Beatitude is this, that there is mercy for merciful people. There is mercy for merciful people. In Jesus' kingdom, merciful people get mercy. Um, And merciful people need mercy. They need help. They need compassion. They need pity. And that's the point that Jesus is making with this beatitude. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hear this beatitude not so much as a call for you to try to be more merciful. Um, there's some of that there, and implicitly that's in there because we know mercy is a value in Jesus' kingdom. I want you to hear this simply as saying, in Jesus' kingdom, there is mercy for merciful people. When they're tired and it feels like I give and I give and I give, and does it even make any difference? Blessed are you, because there's mercy for you in Jesus' kingdom. When you just routinely see the needs of people and it it pains your heart and burdens your heart and you're in prayer for the needs of people and you're doing what you can to meet the needs of people and you feel like you care and you care and you care and sometimes you wonder if anyone even cares for you. Blessed are you because there's mercy for you in Jesus' kingdom. When you feel like, man, does anyone see my needs and want to meet my needs because you're giving so much to the needs of others, just remember, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. In Jesus' kingdom, there is mercy for you who are merciful. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.